like I said, uh, we're towards the end of our uh, our notes. I think we're on page 12. Oh, got the easy section now. The easy, yeah. We came to the easy part. The uh, sovereignty of God. So, uh, plenty of room over here. Plenty, yes. Room over on this, the far end of the spectrum. So, the sovereignty of God. And so, um, We've got some verses here that we're going to get into, but I thought we'd just ask, you know, when you think about that term, the sovereignty of God, you hear that thrown around and used a lot, what is it that comes to your mind? I mean, what does that create within you? What thoughts, feelings, um, passage scriptures, what is it? Yeah, Chris? He's in total control. Yeah, total control. God's in total control. Other... Nothing would happen if God didn't ordain it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so we kind of think on that nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing happens that, except what God ordains and he's in control of all things. So what are some what are some difficulties that sometimes we face when we think about that? What is that sometimes this can be a difficult thing to to wrestle with. Trials. Yeah, right? Any kind of trials that we, we face, that our family face, that we face, like God is in control, so why why this trial? And other things that you think about that are hard to reconcile with the sovereignty of God. In a similar vein, like just evil in general. Yeah. Um, is God actually sovereign over that evil? Yeah. So there's this sense, whether we look at things that seem to not necessarily have an evil aspect, but something that's not the way it, not the way it ought to be, right? And especially in the moral sense, when we see things that aren't the way that we think that they should be, or that God has seemed to reveal that, that he wants them to be, why are they still happening if God is fully in control? So it's kind of a big, big question, big topic. And so we're going to look at some scriptures that help to shed some light on it, and I think hopefully after we have a discussion, we should leave um, having a good foundation of what scripture does say, but there's probably likely to be areas in which we continue to wrestle with how do we understand that? Like, because it's, it's a very difficult thing to just say, oh, that, that makes perfect sense to me intellectually or to be at peace with what it means in terms of what, what God wants ultimately in his, his ultimate will. So let's read some of these verses. Um, I have any volunteers. Cole, you got Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all the depths. Yeah. Okay, and then Acts 4, 28. Chris, you can get that one. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Mm-hmm. And then, Andy, what about uh, Colossians? Colossians 1, 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Yeah, and Andrew, how about uh, Ephesians? Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Yeah, so we see in different verses in different places, and this is a very small sample of the many, many places. It's not like just these are the four places. So there's some hints there, right? Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, okay? So that's in terms of him actively acting. What about, uh, what do we see happening in Colossians? What is he doing there? It's the main thing. Sustaining. Yeah, he's sustaining. Mm-hmm. 
And so I found it, um, when I was thinking through this, um, I thought about, uh, I was reading through a couple of resources trying to uh, help me think through this. And uh, it helped me to think about <coughs> this idea that um, you've got sustaining or preserving preservation. In the sense that everything that currently exists, right, this is what we're seeing in, in Colossians and other places, right? In order for it to exist in every moment, in every instant, God is actively sustaining it. He's holding it together, right? So if, if he, what would that mean? If God, for a moment or for instance, ceased to sustain something, what would happen? Right? It's gone, right? And so that applies to everything, the physical universe, it applies to us as individual beings, to the plants, the animals, and the scriptures are filled with references of how God refers to the clouds, the thunder, the lightning, the plants, the animals, um, all throughout. So we have preservation, we have concurrence, and then we have government. I thought I should write there. I thought these were helpful terms for me. So preservation means that he holds everything, he maintains it, it all exists. Now, concurrence means, and this is something that we're getting to when we talk about um, man and his will, is that God can be actively sustaining and um, causing the universe, the animals, the plants, the sky, and man to follow his will along with those animals, those physical properties of light and matter and energy, the will of man, those two things can concur at the same time, okay? So there can be both wills are happening at the same time. There's a concurrence between those two together. And that's gonna be sometimes difficult for us to say, we would like to there, why did this happen? It was God's will, not man's will, or it's man's will, not. We often see this too, in, in contrast, sometimes in a scientific discussion, right? Where what caused this to happen? Well, gravity caused this to fall, the object, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. And why? Because God was at work in that. So there's these multiple um, aspects in which God is causing it, interacting with the world and the universe and the properties of good. And then government has to do with that. Not only is he preserving it and working alongside, but he's in control. He's, he's governing those actions at the same time. And so I thought we would maybe take a minute and think about we talked about um, you know, what comes to mind and, and what do you think are some, we talked about some of the difficulties that, that there are with maybe believing in the sovereignty of God. We, we're, we struggle when we think about trials, we think about sin. And evil. Um, what, what alternative is there? If we don't believe in the absolute sovereignty of God, what is the other theological or other worldview that people might have sometimes? God kind of created it and left it alone. Mm -hmm. Kind of the watchmaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and why might somebody prefer that or take that position either biblically or not? They have no obligations. Yeah, keep going. What do you mean by that? So like, they don't have to follow any rules that are biblically determined. They, have, they don't have to worship God. They can do whatever they want because he walked away. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's an interesting movie. 
years ago called the Adjustment Bureau. Yeah. As Emily Blunt. Uh -huh. Damon, do you remember that yeah, one? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And I'm not sure if it's a good move or not, so don't take it as well. <laughs> it's been a few years, yeah. Uh, but the idea is that, um, you know, there's these agents that are sent to try to steer people to do, mm -hmm. um, you know, what they need to do to accomplish some great yeah. master plan. Yeah, master plan. And, and so you just have, like, they stop time, rearrange people, try to create these different encounters. Mm -hmm. And so it's not deism, mm -hmm. but it's almost as if God is almost trying to um, maybe manipulate circumstances mm -hmm. to get the outcome that he desires, mm -hmm. uh, but still kind of respecting some sort of you know, free will and mm -hmm. human autonomy as mm -hmm. well. So I think I think for a lot of people, it's just telling them, well, I chose to have raisin bread this morning, and I chose to get up, and I chose to shower. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. That God didn't make, there was not some sort of outside agency that forced me to do all this stuff. I just wanted to. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I think sometimes just human experience um, can make it hard for people to stomach that because they've just lived that way all their life. Right. It, it feels and seems as if, right, everything is under my, yeah. my own, that I'm sovereign over my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the challenge with the <coughs> sovereignty of God in, in a more positive sense, not just saying we want to be free to sin, you know, mm -hmm. however, uh, I think the idea of rejecting that in some way can try to make, you, try to make, you can do that to try to make God not the author of sin. Mm -hmm. So you think the sovereignty of God means that he is responsible for sin and we can't believe that, so God can't be in control of all things. Mm -hmm. Or if you understand sovereignty to say, I'm not responsible for my actions, I'm just a robot, mm -hmm. then denying the sovereignty of God in some way can be a, a defense of human responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. It can, be, it can be both defensive responsibility of humans and defense of God's honor in the yeah. sense that he's not the author of sin. Uh, I can't remember the guy. Uh, there was a guy on the radio that he would always talk about. You know, God created the potential for evil, right? He created this, and then it's, you know, he, it, and, and there's a lot of times this discussion where, yeah, like, how can evil exist if God's in control? I mean, we're getting kind of to that. So I think one of the important issues, like, if you see when we talk about his plan and his will, there's kind of two different distinctions that are often helpful. So um, one would be um, what we talk about in terms of God's revealed or his his, his revealed or his prescriptive will and God's decreed will or sometimes it's called his hidden will um, so God's his control of the universe right his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatever whatsoever comes to pass right so that's the belief that right everything is as we said ultimately it's under God's control and it's what God has planned um, so when we think about that, we also think about God's commands, his moral commands, and how we see those violated. So we're trying to reconcile God, what God has revealed in terms of what he desires versus what is actually happening and how do those things. And there's kind of a hint there in that Westminster, Westminster Confession, right? What, what gives us a hint there as to why sometimes things may happen that don't go along with his revealed will or his, his moral will. What was that question again? 
Yeah, so like in the in the confession, uh-huh. what do they give as the purpose for whatever comes to pass? His glory. Yeah, yeah, for his own glory. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a, a beginning place to start. Many times in the scriptures, um, there's a question of why is this happening? And many times that is God's ultimate answer. It is for my glory that I have done this. All right. Um, so think. Of, let's uh, let's think about Old Testament, right? One of the places where we see God um, bringing suffering about is in the life of Joseph. So let's turn into to the end of Genesis. chapter 50. So quick review, right? Right. Much of the later half of Genesis is all about the life of Joseph, right? So let's run through some of the things that happened to Joseph, right? He was young. He was the favorite. He had these dreams about I'm going to rule over, right? And uh, what do we see? What are some things that happened in Joseph's life? Brothers. Yeah, they sold him into slavery. And then told their father he was dead by was bringing back the bloody... Right. And they even thought before that about what? Were they, were they, they thought, let's kill him. But then, right, they, ah, oh, we're not that. Let's be gracious. Let's be gracious. <laughs> Just sell him into slavery. Right. So we see his brothers acting in that way. And so then at the end, fast forward, right? So Joseph also went through, right? He was in Potiphar's house, right? What happened in Potiphar's house? (coughs) Yeah, Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him. He refused. She accused him. Where'd he go then? Into prison, right? So he's in prison. He's there. He um, interprets the dreams of the two, right? The the cupbearer and the baker, and they both... Right, come true. And do they do they save Joseph there? No, he stays in prison, right? And so eventually, right, he interprets the the dream for the Pharaoh, and he rises to power, right? Saves they save the grain. Long, long story, right? And eventually, right, the brothers come back. They find out there's this reconciliation. It's a long, wonderful story, filled with ways in which Joseph was mistreated. There was a lot of evil that happened towards Joseph, right? And so then their father dies, and what are the brothers thinking? He's going to get us now. That's right. So, yeah, let's look. Uh, Starting in verse 15 of chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him, right? So they're trying to think of a way, right? They're very scared because they know that they're <laughs> they're deserving, right? And then we, sk- we skip down. They, they ask him, you know, please, uh, I think they make up the story about, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, 
Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So in Joseph's perspective, um, what does he say about how God views the actions of his brothers? How was how was God involved or not involved in that? Well, the trials that he went through resulted in many people being saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, it's for good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say, did God? Uh, I guess the question is: Is did did God react to the actions of his brothers, or did God was God more involved in that? In other words, before Joseph's brothers did any of these evil actions, did God know that, that was going to take place? Yeah. Okay, was that a part of his plan? It was. It was. And so we, it's, it's a place where we can see God planning, right, the, these evil actions of these brothers so that, right, what's the difference between what were their intentions when they, let's kill him, let's sell him. What were their intentions? Harm. For harm, right? They meant it for evil, evil right? God was causing, through his brothers, those same actions. And what was his, what was his intentions? For good. for good. Okay, so there's an aspect in which we kind of get a hint that man and God were cooperating in that sense. God was causing, in the same way the brothers were causing these actions, with very different intentions behind why they were doing those those actions, okay? And that gives us a little bit of insight into how God can work through the evil actions of men and even cause them knowing that he has a good purpose for them to be brought about, even though when the men are doing that, the brothers, they didn't have any of that good purpose. And so part of that sense of why is it so evil, why is it sin for them, is that their intention was to bring about harm and to bring about evil in that sense. So I guess one question would be, can you think of other instances in Scripture where God talks about he caused or brought about something, where a person or people were acting in evil, but God brought about good through that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, when you think about Job, Job can be really helpful because we see that God is ultimately in, in control. But sometimes I, I think for me, there's many questions in which that Job asks that the answer that God gives isn't necessarily the answer that maybe Job wanted to hear, right? So sometimes he answers him in the sense that, who are you to question me, right? Where were you when I founded the earth? And do you know this? And do you know that? And he kind of helps Job to shrink back down and to understand who he is. And so there's some times in which we might ask questions where maybe we are reaching beyond what God has chosen to reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
what other can you think of other places where men were acting Old or New Testament in evil, but God says specifically, "This was a part of my plan." More specifically, it's a great. There's a great spot where we see that. Can you think of any places where that's? I was thinking of Judas and his purpose and that whole Easter story. Yeah. His intentions were evil, just like the brothers. Um, but was it fulfillment of scripture? Led Jesus to the cross. And mm-hmm. All of those things that were yep. were the ultimate greatest good. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great example. The cross, we see Judas, and so many of the things that we see along that that were prophesied in the Old Testament about the way in which Jesus suffered, specific things in which those things were brought to pass. Uh, Let's look at Acts. Let's turn to Acts. Peter makes it fairly clear, I think, in his sermon. I think I maybe referenced this last time, but in Acts 2. Acts 2.23. Okay. Jason, you want to read that one? I see he's getting there. 2.23. Uh-huh. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of all of All right, so we see, right, two, two actors in terms of bringing about the crucifixion of Jesus. We see God, right, and... It, why did it happen? What's the wording that it says? Mm-hmm. Right, delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Right, so God brought that about for a very definite plan. And then who else was acting to bring that about? Lawless men, right? Crucified and killed by the hands of, of lawless men. Right, so we can kind of see, and there's other examples. There's God that hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Right, there's the many nations that God hardened their hearts so that they might come in and um, um, bring judgment on the, the nation of Israel. Let's read. Let's read in our in our passage. Let's look at these passages from Isaiah. Okay, we're on page thirteen here. Let's see. Aiden, you've got uh, Isaiah 45, 18 there. For thus says the Lord God, who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Mm-hmm. And then, Leo, you got a hint? Can you get uh, 46, 10? Yeah. Isaiah 46, 10. <coughs> Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Mm-hmm. And then Kate, you're going to get Daniel 2, uh, 21. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's good. Daniel 2, 21. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. So this is kind of saying... Um, when you think about all the actions of men, the events that take place on the earth, right, we see that there's only one option, and that's it, that the Lord is in control of, of all things. That he is the Lord, there's none else. His purpose is going to be established. Okay? And so, I think that what we're getting at kind of at the end is that point C, right, 
and D, right, does this make God the author of sin? Okay, the author of sin, and what about free will? Okay. So a couple things, right? What are some things, let's talk about the, the negative aspect. What are some things that scripture never says about this, this topic? Does it ever say anywhere, are there any verses where it says God committed sin? Mm-hmm. God, can't, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. And there's an absence. There's nowhere in the, the scriptures where it says God was, God's sin, God was guilty mm-hmm. of sin. And so we want to make sure that we also know not only what scriptures say, but what they don't say, right? Yeah. So that there's nowhere, we want to make sure that when we talk about God causing these actions and being in control of them, mm-hmm. the scripture does not ever affirm that God sins or is guilty of sin in any way. That's a good kind of distinction to make. And so when we think through it, we want to make sure that as we um, question how that is to be, sometimes we can without realizing it, become in this questioning of God's goodness, mm-hmm. right? Well, if God did this, is that really good? Mm-hmm. We kind of have to have that assumption, ground level, that God, the Lord is good. We've already talked about how the scripture affirms God's goodness. Mm-hmm. And so we know that, I know that God is good. I know he's in control of all things. And so with those things being non-negotiable, how can I seek to understand mm-hmm. uh, the way in which God uh, works in the actions of men. Scott, I think another thing the Bible makes very clear is that men and women make genuine moral decisions Mm -hmm. and they are genuinely responsible for those decisions. Mm -hmm. So however we work out the intricacies of these dynamics, it's very clear that we are responsible for Mm -hmm. our decisions and they are real decisions. Mm -hmm. And, And for me, just no matter what I do, I feel like I come more to peace with it, but I can never reconcile the facts that I know that are both true, like yeah. what you're saying. That it's scripture affirms over and over again, probably equally as much, that God is in control ultimately of all things, and that man makes a real choice, a moral choice that we're responsible for. Yeah. And I think that's probably the number one thing is if we go away from it, is to avoid ever excluding one of those two truths. Mm-hmm. Right. Whenever we think we really know one of them, our tendency is to then diminish our belief and our um, voicing the other one. And so that's kind of the, the 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 contrast. I was talking with somebody else, and he was talking about you know it's kind of like I'm getting to where I feel like I'm learning more about the Trinity, but I just don't understand how that's how he's one and how he's three at the same time. Scripture affirms it. It's very true. And so when I read the scriptures, it's about, and I think sometimes it's, sometimes it's not necessarily building a clear understanding, but it's throwing out the yeah. things that can't be true. So scripture affirms this. Man, that seems to go against what I think. Okay, well then, that must be wrong. And I'm going to affirm what the scriptures teach here, even if I'm not sure how they, they fit together. Yeah. I think another, uh, when you look at, how sinful decisions um, produce good. I think you look at the genealogies. Like um, David and Bathsheba, that was a clearly immoral relationship. Mm-hmm. But Bathsheba is in the bloodline uh, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so 
on one hand, it's like, does God want my children to exist? You know, are we destined to exist? Well, for that to happen, mm-hmm. look at, and for us to have the DNA that we have, I mean, you go back to ancestors, there had to be a perfect um, match all along the way for us to come into yeah. existence. Does yeah. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. so, yeah, there's a lot of mystery to it. Like, was I meant to be? Were my children meant to be? Mm-hmm. And did I choose to marry Becky? Right. Yeah. And I think there's something, too, where I think it's healthy to have uh, a certain level of tolerance in your own mind for mystery, right? Not yeah. saying that I'm going to give up trying to understand it, yeah. but to accept that tension that says, I just, I don't understand this. And I think that part of that helps us to, gives us a desire to continue to learn and to study, knowing that, you know, I'm never going to exhaust and, and really get to the place where I understand everything. I think sometimes that can be a struggle is that as we go in our faith, we feel like we know God very well. Okay, I've read the Bible every year for the last, yeah. whatever, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Um, but there's always these questions where we can kind of grow closer in our, in our knowledge of God in that way. Yeah. I think with that, I think a lot of this, like we're talking about sovereignty and God, mm-hmm. I think a big part of the sovereignty of God is putting your trust in him. And so, like, the first example he gave to Joseph, like, he got to seek reconciliation with the people that wronged him. And I think that's a pretty rare thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the trials or, for lack of a better term, crap that happens. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, just the stuff that is just horrible. Like, mm-hmm. there's things that just will never make sense, and you have to trust God mm-hmm. that he will work things out for good. And that's... I think a big part of sovereignty, I think, is just trusting God and His plan because Mm -hmm. we're not guaranteed that we're going to be able to see the reconciliation or the the reason that happened. Or, okay, well, if this many people got saved from it, then it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you're never going to see that, I don't think, until you're in eternity. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's a, a big piece of this puzzle is putting your trust in God and resting in that. Yeah. yeah. Like I, and I look at all the commands of God. Those are commands like going forward, that's what we aspire to and try to obey. But you kind of look into the past, and I think there's some comfort in just the sovereignty of God, even using some of my bad decisions and sins mm-hmm. to accomplish some good too. So I think looking back at a fixed reality that cannot change, mm-hmm. the sovereignty of God is pretty comforting. Yeah. But going ahead, it, should lead to passivity. It's, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do. I can just sit back and see how he does it. I mean, mm-hmm. we're still guided by all those commands. Yeah. But sovereignty is it's reassuring when you look at the past. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, looking back. And sometimes I, I was thinking there's sometimes when you can kind of see things like, oh, I was reconciled, right, and it allowed this. You, you kind of get a hint at maybe some good that brought, brought about. Sometimes God makes it clear in Scripture, like we see in Joseph's life all the thing, all the people that were saved. We see in the explanation of the cross what became of that. And there's other times where, you know, people suffer, they die, we don't get to see what was the point of that suffering. Or like Job, right? Job suffers, and we get a little inside glimpse that Job didn't get all the 
revelation that that we have in terms of the backstory. Yesterday, our <coughs> five-year-old Roma was trying to get us to explain how we pay the electricity bill, and you know they they take it out of our account oh, right. uh-huh. online, uh-huh. or bank is a place she can't see, and she cannot grasp what we're saying, and she's kind of like I think she said something like, like you're saying like they take the money from nowhere and it turns on the lights. You know, it's like magic. <laughs> but she was like, she was frustrated with us. Yes. Like, a little bit of anger there. Yeah. Explain but it better. I, I just said there, there's still. I, I said, do you, like, do you know how the banking system works? Yeah, I asked the questions, and at first she's like, yes, you know. But, um, <laughs> so there, there's so many elements of life that she can't grasp right now yeah. as a five-year-old. That that when we try to explain how we pay the electricity bill and even why we have electricity was like frustrating to her and it made her almost angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was impossible to unpack all these different components <clears throat> at her stage of life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I mean, us in relation to God and eternity and divine purposes, um, <laughs> we, we just, we're not going to have the ability to understand how it all fits together. Mm-hmm. It's not because it's illogical or unreasonable or because we're anti-intellectual. It's because we, we simply... We are God, and we, we, we don't see all these different components. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that we don't want to keep pressing any of these issues, like you, you said, but there is a place for mystery or a certain degree of tension mm-hmm. that I think is just built into us being finite creatures. Mm-hmm. And so then knowing God, and not just theoretically, mm-hmm. but this is, he's all-powerful, but he's also all-good, and then we know what he looks like when we see Jesus. Mm-hmm. So with all the tensions, I, I hope my daughter can say that I, I love my mom and my mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know yeah. how we pay the bills, but I yeah. <laughs> try to get paid, and we have, we have electricity today, and I'm glad for that. Um, but then we, when we look at Jesus, it is that all-sovereign God with his goodness mm-hmm. fleshed out in front of us. We say, I don't know how it all works together, mm-hmm. But this is the God I, I want to follow and I yeah. want to trust. Yeah. Yeah, looking at Jesus, it reminds me not just like the cross, but, you know, when Jesus prayed, he gave us a great example that if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Right? So there's a, pet- a petition, this appeal, like, I do not, you know, I do not want to drink this cup. And if it's possible, take it away. But not my will, your will. Right, and so when we face whatever it is, sometimes it's questions, sometimes it's things that we just don't understand. There's a choice where we make that says, "I trust you." Like what you're, Andy, you're saying too. It's about tr- an opportunity to trust in God and to grow in your your trust of who God is. That's definitely what we want to take away. I think when we think about um, free will, um, one th- kind of a point. And, you know, there's a question: What about free will? I think there's a couple things I just want to bring up and just read. Before we wrap up, is you know, in a sense, um, sometimes it's good to, to remind ourselves that there's a, a l- very large number of factors that influence our decisions that we all know are not in our control. We never chose where we were born, who our parents were. A lot of these choices that, that formed us, that made us who we were, and we all accept that without questioning it. And so, there's a sense in which our will is is is. There's almost a mystery, too, for me, in terms of how the human will works. Like, how do I decide? Um, there's one, I'll share one small story that, that kind of shook me a little bit. Is when I was in college, 
I played rugby and I had a concussion one time. And what happened after the concussion was my memory would only last about 30 seconds and then I would forget everything that had happened. Okay, and so um, during that recovery day, 12 to 24 hours, you know, it would kind of slowly return and I was talking with some people that were very patient because I would ask the same questions hundreds and hundreds of times. What happened? Here's the same questions. What happened? You got a concussion. Uh, did I come out of the game? No. Did we win? Uh, yes. Uh, what was the score? Awesome. What happened? And then, so then that cycle would just go on for hours and hours and hours. But um, as, I, as they noticed that as they changed the scenario, sometimes I would get a different response. Like, oh, what are we doing here? And uh, so they said, um, they said something and I, and I had this you know, surprise expression and they kind of laughed at me. Like, Why are you laughing? They said, because we've answered that question 10 times and every time you could done the exact same response. <laughs> Did they try giving you different answers to so, <laughs> so then I well, it was even more than that. Then I said, it's so weird how like our brains, when they have the same stimuli, they follow these pathways and always end at the same spot. And they laughed at you other again. They said, Scott, you've done this ten times in a row. And I was like, I'm just a robot. You know, like, <laughs> so it just made me think about, do I really understand, like, how free is my will? Because I was, like, responding exactly the same way, time after time after time after time. And so it's always kind of made me, like, a little bit cautious about, like, am, am, how am I making this decision? Like, I didn't quite, I don't think we sometimes understand that. And so there's a sense in which there's a tension in terms of understanding yeah. God's will, but even... Yeah, and a lot of biologists are into like this biological determinism about genes and mm -hmm. DNA and mm -hmm. all this other stuff kind of like sets a course. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not divine determinism, it's just your biology. And mm -hmm. So it's all... Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's that was something yeah. that I've heard uh, some of the, like there was, I think it was not Sagan, but uh, who's the other, the guy in the wheelchair, uh, Hawking. Hawking. Hawking was talking at a seminar, and he, he basically said at the end of it, you know, yeah, it's all determined. You know, no one really has a choice. That's all just an illusion. And so there's there's this tension where from all sides there's this wanting to reject both one of those things, mm -hmm. either the fact that God's in control or that we have a real morally responsible will. Yeah, it's just interesting that atheists question free will. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And again, and it, it's... It's interesting because, some, and the, then how do we use that? We can use that to kind of have a mystery, continue to engage and believe in a God that where there's some mystery, and sometimes we can also use it to, like Chris was saying, we can use those beliefs to excuse sin, to, to form those beliefs that allow us to work out the desires. And so the will and how it flows from our desires, I think, is one of the things that as we place our desire after God and who he is, then he will continue to conform our actions and our lives to that desire. And uh, as man seeks after sin, our, his actions and his will will continue to, to follow after that. Oh, okay. Uh, about, about there. Um, so we're going to continue on. Um, next time we'll talk. I, I haven't looked yet. Have you looked at the second? We're talking a different topic next time.
But uh, let's look at Romans 11, 33 to 36 for conclusion here. Romans 11, 33. Joe, you want to read that one? Yep. You got it? Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Person of Jesus. What's that? Jesus. Jesus is next. Okay. Moving on to Jesus. Another another easy one. So we'll start talking about Jesus next time. And I think that's this passage is probably the most appropriate, I think, to wrap up because it just reminds us that there's a depth of riches, right? Riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Those those depths are unsearchable. So no one will ever exhaust their search. They can continue to be filled with the riches over and over and over again. And that it's all for, as he said, to him, from him, and through him, and for him and to be for his glory. Okay, so let's let's close, and uh, we'll move on to talking about Jesus next week. So. Oh, not next week. Not next week because it's Easter. Yeah. We will talk about Jesus next week. <laughs> I've got it all. Jesus every day. Every day. What I meant to say is our class. Every day. Our class will not meet next week. Uh, we'll have some light refreshments before the service next week for Easter. Yeah. We don't have a good Friday service, right? This yeah, Friday. we do. Uh-huh. With yeah. cookies. With cookies? Yeah, so we're going to talk about the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ and eat some cookies. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a tension that we were able to deal with. All right, let's take, let's take a minute. Lord, I thank you so much um, that you take of the depth and the riches of your wisdom and your knowledge and you reveal them to us. And God, I pray that as we continue to search out what is unsearchable, that you just guide us in that search and in that journey, that we grow closer to you, we walk with you, and that we'd have that childlike faith, that we would um, trust you as you speak and reveal yourself to us. And when we don't understand, that we would trust your nature and your character and your goodness that we see revealed in who you are. Uh, we thank you and pray that this, this time and this discussion and these truths would encourage us to to trust you more, to love you more, and to tell of your wonderful goodness to all those around us, and to speak and proclaim the goodness of the gospel in, uh, in our community, that your kingdom may continue to grow. We ask your spirit to continue to be with us today as we worship you in your name. Amen.